Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. on a Thursday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, and we are going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line. Welcome in our good friend from Pro Football Focus. Uh, Doug Kide um, is joining us in the huddle. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Vinny? Doing very good. And uh, we're kind of talking today about um, who the keys to the Raider season can be. Uh, or will be. And we're starting with the premise that, look, you know what you're probably going to get from Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and Darren Waller, um, you know, and Hunter Renfro, Chandler Jones, those type of guys. The, the, you, you, you could write that in pretty confidently that you're going to get a high-level play from those guys. So it becomes, all right, out of the rest of the team, guys that need to either step up and can be difference makers one way or another, who can be that key to uh, the Raiders being a really good team or not. And I wanted to start, uh, Doug, in the secondary. It's a very young secondary in terms of experience, in terms of longevity, age, all of those things. Um, and I'm looking at Trayvon Mullen, and I'm looking at Rock Yassin, and right now, currently, they would probably be the two starting outside cornerbacks. What is your confidence level uh, in those two players as they uh, go into 2022, and what kind of imp- impact can they have one way or another on this Raiders operation? You know, I, it's it's certainly not the worst uh, cornerback group. It's I think it helps that those are two guys that I think still have upside, obviously, in the NFL. So I I think that you know with the right coaching, which I'm certainly confident in the coaches that the Raiders were able to bring in uh, this offseason with Patrick Graham leading that group and and everyone else that they've they've got in there. I think that those two guys can can continue to improve. And I would have, you know, some degree of confidence in Rocky Yassin uh, and Trayvon Mullen. I think that, you know, having a, a solid slot that they do, and, and Nate Hobbs certainly helps as well, uh, getting some veteran leadership in there as well with a guy like Deron Harmon, even if he doesn't wind up, you know, taking on a, a full-time starter role. Uh, I think that the, the secondary certainly can round back into shape this season. When we talk about Trayvon Mullen, he's been here three years. Uh, we were just talking about him. Uh, first couple of years, you know, played 16 games, 16 games as a rookie and a second-year player. Uh, but last year, injuries derailed him. He only played five games. Do we know what the Raiders have uh, in Trayvon Mullen, the former second-round pick from Clemson? I, I don't do fully. I, I don't think that the Raiders fully do. And I think that part of that, too, is just the change in coaching staff because what Patrick Graham is going to be doing – with the Raiders is going to be, you know, quite a bit different than what Gus Bradley was doing. So I think that that's, that's a pretty big element there is to see Trayvon Mullen taken out of the previous system and see how he's even going to fit in the current system. And, you know, I, I do still think, obviously he's a young player. I think he still has upside, like I said, uh, but there is definitely some degree of uncertainty with him uh, in changing systems. And, there's a possibility that it could go horribly, but it also could go very well. And maybe, you know, that, that change in system could actually wind up being a good thing for him. And here's the thing. This is his, this will be his third defensive coordinator in his, in four seasons. Right. Started with Paul Gunther, um, you know, last year, uh, as you mentioned, Gus Bradley and, and now Paul Graham. Uh, so it will be interesting. And, and you feel for guys like that because that's not the ideal situation. 
to have three different systems in your first four years, and sometimes your head's swimming just to master one, and then all of a sudden you're after you, you're being asked to master another one. So that will be something uh, to certainly keep uh, an eye on. But what about Rocky Yassin? Um, you know, I know a lot of Raider fans know where he came from and where he was. What kind of a, a player are, are the Raiders getting in him? No, I think that he could be a, a solid cornerback for them. He hasn't been uh, fantastic by any means so far in his career, and I think that you know that trade was really interesting on the on the Raiders and, and Colts' part, and the fact that you know I was talking to, to Dave Ziegler about it and Josh McDaniels at the NFL annual meeting, and the way that they kind of described that trade was that it was like you know they got they signed Chandler Jones, and then. They were able to, you know, then they flipped Yannick, uh, Yannick Ngakwe over to the Colts. And, like, I, I don't want to say that they were treating Rocky Asim like he was kind of like a, a throw-in to a trade that was really kind of more suited around acquiring Chandler Jones and then uh, trading away Yannick Ngakwe. But it, it kind of came across that way. Uh, based on our grades, Rocky Asim had his best uh, season of his career last year with the Colts. Uh, he hasn't been incredible so far, uh, but he was he was definitely solid last season. Uh, and I think that that's another player that he's a little bit older than Trayvon Mullen. Uh, he's entering his fourth season in the NFL, but he's another player that you know could benefit from a change of scenery. He's been a starting caliber cornerback in the NFL, so it was a solid addition to that that maneuvering that they did in getting Chandler Jones in and Gawkway out and then taking on a, a player on a rookie contract that has starting ability. We're talking to uh, Doug Kite from Pro Football Focus. You could follow him at Doug, K-Y-E-D. Uh, appreciate the time that he's given us today. Conversely, over on the offensive side of the ball, when we're talking about X-Factors, guys that can maybe sway this thing in one direction or another, assuming everybody shows up and does what they are expected to do with the star players, um, Alex Otherwood, uh, I, I think we can all agree that he wasn't the 17th best player in the draft last year. Uh, but by most mock drafts, he was, you know, uh, squarely, at least in that in that second round. Um, you know, people were projecting him in, in that round. So he has talent. There's no doubt about it. Had a, a great career at the University of Alabama. There's still upside there. Uh, but in terms of Alex Leatherwood, and I know he had a bad year as a rookie, uh, but it's not unusual for guys to take step forwards in year two. Um, any expectation for him? And where, if you were, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels, if, if if you were Dave Ziegler, where would you line him up first to see uh, what he's all about uh, early in the process? I, I'd try him out at tackle. I know that it didn't go well early in his rookie season last year with the Raiders, but you know, I keep going back to this, and there is just that, that change in system uh, that's coming to, to the Raiders. So I think that you kind of hit the reset button w- with them. 17th overall pick, you don't necessarily want to take a right guard at that spot. You'd like Alex Leatherwood to work out at tackle in the NFL. And I think that the way that Josh McDaniels and the way that Carmen Brasillo will run things there is I think a player like Alex Leatherwood could actually – fit a little bit better at right tackle in that system than, than what the Raiders were previously running. Like the, the Patriots have had kind of um, some, some uh, you know, non-traditional tackles over the years do pretty well for them in that system. Michael Onwenu never played tackle in college, and he wound up playing right tackle pretty frequently for the Patriots and did a pretty good job at it. Uh, Jermaine Illuminor, who's a guy who's 
uh, obviously currently on the Raiders right now. He was another player who was mostly a guard early in his career, played a little bit of left tackle, but he played tackle quite a bit uh, for the Patriots as well. Isaiah Wynn, only six foot two, he played pretty well at tackle. So, you know, some of those non-traditional tackles have actually succeeded pretty well in that Patriots system. I know that Carmen Brasillo isn't Dante Scarnecchia, but he's a very solid offensive line coach, did a good job with the Patriots last year. So uh, I'd allow him to coach up Alex Leatherwood as much as possible, put him out there at tackle to start out with. And if it doesn't work out, you still have plenty of time to move him around in the future during the course of his NFL career. Doug, when we're talking about what they're going to do differently here compared to um, you know what Tom Cable and, and John Gruden were doing, are there any specifics um, we can look for in terms of the differences? Well, the the Patriots definitely run you know kind of very blocking techniques. Uh, it's not it's not zone power. It's it's kind of a mix of both, but. One thing that they do quite a bit, I know that other teams do this as well, uh, but they really coach their offensive tackles to basically just direct the, the edge rushers behind the quarterback as much as possible. And I, I think that you know getting rid of the ball quickly for Derek Carr is going to be key. That was key for a number of years for Tom Brady. And it puts less stress on the offensive tackles where basically all they have to do is just shove the edge defender as far out outside as possible and then just get them behind the quarterback. And that allows the quarterback to step up as long as the centers and the guards are doing their job up front. And like I said, it, you don't have to be quite as technique sound maybe at tackle if all you're really doing is allowing the quarterback enough time to get rid of the ball and, and adjusting and shifting those edge defenders uh, behind the passer. So could some of that, because they really haven't addressed the offensive line. They've, they've filled a bunch of holes uh, so far this offseason. I think everyone assumed um, that they were going to, to really focus on that offensive line. And I know they tried. Uh, things don't always work out. Um, but could some of their thinking be, look, you got Derek Carr, you got Devontae Adams, you got Darren Waller now, Hunter Renfro. The ball should come out pretty quick with that type of talent and a quarterback like Derek Carr where it does kind of mitigate the need for a super stud right tackle that they're going to have to have as an all-pro level player right off the bat. I, absolutely. I think that it, that's, that's a massive part of this is that, like you said, they do have those wide receivers who can get open quickly. They are running an offense that's predicated on the quarterback getting rid of the ball quickly. And as long as Derek Carr can do that, as long as he, he knows what he's seeing out there and that he's able to pick up the system and the, the change in uh, terminology and everything that Josh McDaniels is going to bring, I think that that, that is certainly a factor in this. Uh, the Patriots over the years certainly did use some high picks on offensive tackles. Nate Solder was a high pick, but you know Sebastian Vollmer was a star there for quite a while. He was only a second-round pick. Trent Brown was kind of a backup of the 49ers before they traded for him, and he wound up being a starter. Uh, Marcus Cannon was a fifth-round pick that, that played right tackle for years. They had undrafted guys at center and guard. David Andrews was undrafted. Uh, Ted Karras was a sixth-rounder. So it, it wasn't always these high picks who were playing in those offensive line spots. They really co depended on their coaches to do a good job in bringing up these kind of undrafted or late-round guys. And I think that that's part of what you could see with the Raiders is that they're putting a lot of uh, trust in Carmen Brasillo to coach those guys up, get the technique down, and then work the offense around that. 
Doug, we're continuing to talk, um, and we're talking to Doug uh, Kide from uh, Pro Football Focus, and maybe some X factors uh, for the Raiders this year, above and beyond um, some of the the name recognized uh, players that are pretty obvious right now. Uh, and Doug, back to the defensive side of the ball, a couple of players that I'm kind of interested in uh, this year: uh, Trayvon Morig, uh, the young safety, and then also Divine Diablo, the former safety at Virginia Tech, who's now a linebacker. Uh, both showed promise last year. I felt like Morig, you know, played at a, an acceptable level uh, throughout the season from beginning to end. Um, and then when Divine Diablo got in there, uh, I thought that he added something that they were missing in, in run support, and I think he could be a pretty good pass defender as well. But those two players uh, in particular, um, as they go into year two, from you guys' perspective over at PFF, uh, any expectations that you have for those two young defensive players? Yeah, I thought that Trevor Mark for a for a rookie second round pick and you know not the most traditional offseason for the second year in a row. I thought that he played, you know, very well for the Raiders. I thought that he showed a lot of potential there. Uh he was very good in coverage, uh pretty decent run defender. Uh yeah, for for a second round pick, I feel like he played above and beyond what the expectations would be. Uh, he he did allow 11 catches on 18 targets, 158 yards. He allowed five touchdowns, but I feel like a lot of those probably weren't, you know, necessarily his fault as a safety. He's kind of, a, you know, contributing a little bit and, and helping guys out back there. But he did uh, have one interception as well. And then uh, Devon Diablo, as you mentioned, you know, third-round pick, he was another guy that I thought was, was solid for them. Uh, moving over there to linebacker, played a little bit of weak side, a little bit of middle linebacker. Uh, he wasn't quite as effective, I'd say, as Trayvon Morg, but it's also a guy that, you know, was a third-round pick, switching positions, uh, was a safety at Virginia Tech. So I think that he could certainly show, uh, you know, some improvement over the course of his career and and could be a guy who could kind of grow into that role a little bit more. The one thing that was kind of surprising about uh, Diablo was that we actually graded him significantly better as a run defender yeah. uh, than, than a coverage player, which you wouldn't necessarily expect as a guy who did play safety, but you know, allowed 17 catches on 19 targets, 223 yards. Uh, didn't allow a touchdown, uh, but yeah, he was a guy that was it was kind of allowing a, a a high you know volume of catches and yards for a guy that you probably would have expected to be a little bit better in coverage early on. Yeah, and I, I and I look at him the, the fact that it was flipped where his strength was in run and um, you know the, he had some work to do with the pass. I feel like he's going to be able to overcome that pass hurdle uh, with with more time and, and more experience. But the run defense was already pretty darn good, so maybe you are getting maybe a more complete linebacker than they even envision if he makes that improvement uh, on the on the pass end of things. Uh, last question, Doug. You wrote a great story about player for player trades, uh, which are now more and more becoming in vogue, I guess, or at least the possibility of them. Uh, we talked about the unique Ngakwe, Rocky Asin, uh trade. Uh, we've seen some other trades uh, go down involving actual players. Uh, do you think that maybe the, a door is opening to the possibility of more and more of those, those types of trades in the NFL? And why wasn't that the case previously? Well, I think it is. I think they could become more possible. I think that this was a unique situation, especially for the Raiders and the Colts, where they both had some turnover in their coaching staff. Obviously, the Raiders quite a bit more, uh, new head coach, OC, DC. Some of those guys that might not have fit the system quite as well, you know, like Yannick Ngakwe, Chandler Jones was a better fit for what they want to run. You know, he's a guy with a high cap cap number, and then you can send him to the Colts, where Gus Bradley is now. He's much more comfortable probably with Yannick Ngakwe, fits that system quite a bit better. And then maybe a guy like Rocky Yassin 
doesn't fit the cold system quite as well. So it's kind of a, a natural fit to, to make that trade, especially when you're able to sign a guy like, like Chandler Jones. Um, and I think that there's a possibility that those trades could happen more often as well in some of those salary cap situations where a still effective older player who maybe has too high of a cap hit gets sent to a team that's looking to compete right away, uh, that's got a lot of cap space, and might have a player on a rookie contract or maybe, you know, on a one-year deal that they can send back over to kind of equate that value. But, uh, yeah, basically just from talking to, you know, people around the league, I talked to Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, Kevin Svansky, Brandon Staley, they all were basically saying that it's hard to assign a value to a player. And it's a lot easier in sports like baseball and basketball and hockey where rules aren't quite as specialized according to system and scheme as they might be in football where you've got a you know number two tight end or a number three receiver or a number four cornerback. And it, it's hard to kind of match up those values for what you're looking for and whether that player on another team can fit that immediate role that you're looking for. But I do think that, you know, some more progressive GMs out there might look to say like, I mean, yeah, we, we need a backup strong safety, let's say, and we don't want to spend this amount amount of money on the guys who are available in in free agency. So let's look for a team that's got a, you know, a a lot of depth at safety or something like that. Try to get one of their guys, their guys and, and try to send over a player where we have more depth. So I'm not sure if we necessarily see like tons of these trades, especially before the draft go down uh, over the next few years. But I do think that GMs will be more willing to do it. Yeah, and uh, before I let you go, Josh McDaniels brought that up last week about drafting even for the best player available at positions of strength to build, to make a strength even stronger so that, hey, at the end of training camp, you might have a surplus of something and you need another position and there's a team that doesn't that's lacking in your strength and you can match up on a trade. So there's that exists as well. Maybe we're going to see that possibly in training camp or, or you know, uh, early in the season or at the end of training camp, I should say, where teams line up on trades in that regard as well. Yeah, and I mean that was something that was actually pretty interesting that the Patriots did last season is that they acquired uh, Sean Wade from the Ravens, even though Sean Wade was a rookie player who had just been drafted in the fifth round. So that kind of goes to what Josh McDaniels is saying as well is that you know even if you do draft a player at a position of strength there's still the possibility that another team out there likes him and could value him at you know the same draft pick that you just spent on him or maybe even a, a slightly higher draft pick you get something out of someone that you might have to cut otherwise so yeah it's certainly possible and i think that the more that nfl teams are willing to think outside the box in some of these factors it'll work out for them well. And I do think that Dave Ziegler is a guy who, who might be willing to do that for the Raiders. I'm a big fan of Dave Ziegler. And I think that uh, he can bring some some progressiveness to that to that job. Yep, no question about it. Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. Uh, take care, my friend, and we'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely, sounds good. That was Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. You could follow him at Doug Kide. Uh, he brings up good points. Make strengths stronger if you can, and then deal with it when it be it, that you can use that whether it's to to field positions, whether it's to fill positions. If guys got hurt, or if another team comes knocking on your door, maybe you can get value in a trade when you have a position of strength uh, and have some surplus. So there's lots of different ways to look at this. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Thursday. 
Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again to Doug Kite from Pro Football Focus, always bringing the heat. I always say this, I was talking to Nabon um, at the break. Guys, if you like football and you want to understand football um, at a uh, at an even higher level and a more enlightened level, and I include myself uh, in, 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 in that category, subscribe to Pro Football Focus. It's a great learning tool. On top of just the grades, they put out some really good information on a lot of valid um, subjects. So it's like 35 bucks a month. Come on. And uh, it's worth it. And they're really good at what they do over there. I don't always agree, but that's okay. It's not, you know, nothing personal or anything like that. Um, and, and that always makes for great conversation anyway. So it, trust me when I say go subscribe to Pro Football Focus. Back to the Realty One Group listener line. Dino is on the line. How you doing, Dino? Hey, Vincent. Good. How are you? I'm doing really well, my brother. How are you? <laughs> Good. Enjoy the show. Please keep me on after my call because I'm away from my radio. You got it. Um, uh, I have a player who I think is going to be a key to the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I name him, I want to touch on a couple other players real quick. Yeah. Obviously, Derek Carr has to eat up this system of McDaniels and own it. Like you know, he's been in it for a long time. He has to hit the ground running. Yes. I, I'm very confident he'll put the work in to do that, and uh, I think he'll put up big numbers. They also have they have to be right about Devontae Adams. I mean, I'm expecting 100 catches, 1,500 yards, and 15 touchdowns. That's what you get when you have the the highest paid or the you know best receiver in football. But the guy that I think is the key is Darren Waller. He is such a mismatch physically against most defenders that he has to put up monster numbers. He can't have an 800-yard season with, you know, seven or eight touchdowns. The 800 yards is 47 yards a game now. Uh, he's got to put up 13, 1,400 yards receiving and, you know, double-digit touchdowns and be dominant and, and move out to the wide receiver position if he needs to. He played that in college. If they can get the two tight ends on there and have Moreau and him along with, the, you know, uh, Renfro and Adams and, uh, Jacobs, and now you're really talking uh, tough for the defense. But I think Waller, you know, staying healthy. Obviously, his numbers were down last year due to the injury and the number of games he missed. But he has to put up dominant numbers. He has to be the mismatch that he is. He can't be pedestrian at all. You know, he's got to put up Kelsey type numbers. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run some numbers by you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, 111 catches, um, 1,200 yards, and. 92 catches, uh, 1,125 yards. Would you take that, those two numbers, uh, from either or, Darren Waller uh, and Devonta Adams? Adams, I think, has to be even more. I think he has to be, like what I said, over 100 catches, 1,500 yards. That's not even 100 yards a game. He's got to be 1,500 yards, and he's got to score 15 touchdowns. The numbers, uh, The yeah. numbers that I just gave you? Uh, just for argument's sake, were Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Tyreek Hill, this is just last year, 111 catches, 1,239 yards. Now, granted, um, both, of they, both of them did it in roughly 16 games because I think a lot of guys took that last game off of the Kansas City Chiefs. So 111 catches, 1,239 yards for Tyreek Hill, 
92 catches, 1,125 yards for Travis Kelsey. Do let me ask you this: Does does Devonte really need to be 1,500 yards if you've also got now Hunter Renfro, you know, uh, in the mix as well? You know, they can they can be very diverse and split these numbers up. Maybe he doesn't have to be as 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 high as I said. Bottom line, all these numbers really don't mean anything. The biggest number is average points per game. Yes. If they're scoring 28 to 30 points a game, I don't care how many you know yards a receiver has. It's all going to come down to the points per game, and especially the same, same goes for defense. You saw all the pressures that, that Max Crosby had last year. He had a, led the NFL in pressures. Well, guess what? They didn't amount to a lot because they still gave up 27 points a game. They've got to get that number down into the you know high teens or low twenties, and you've got to score in this league nowadays. So I think with a modern NFL offense, something they did not have under Gruden, they should average if they're a really good team, they should average twenty eight points a game. And here's one other um, you know I'm going to throw this at you for Tyreek Hill, he had 159 targets. For Travis Kelsey, he had 134 targets. I think if you can get to that between those two guys. Somewhere around those 200 and, you know, almost 300, really, uh, or 250 targets between those two guys, um, Devontae Adams and Darren Waller, I think you're going to be in good shape. You're going to see some big numbers from those two players. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsier. Thanks, you know, uh, in the huddle with Vinny Bonsier, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. What's good? What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. On a Thursday, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line uh, and welcome in a good friend of mine. Got a chance to see Sal uh, over at the owners' meetings in Florida. He was getting ready to do a uh, radio hit, and I almost completely threw his, threw his focus off. I apologize for that, Sal, um, but we are going to talk to uh, Sal uh, Capaccio from... He's the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter. That says it all. And he's also the host of the Extra Point Show on WGR550. Sal, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good, Aizan. I'm good. Uh, so you, I was just striked. I was striking your good looks, and that's why I was thrilled. <laughs> so no, 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 no. It's you. You're, you're the Italian stallion. I can say <laughs> that, honestly, without a doubt. You're, you carry it well, my friend. Um, yes, yes. Thank you. All right. Start here, Sal, because as we were in Florida, the breaking news, and I think this is wonderful news um, for for your area of the world, Buffalo, uh, upstate New York, um, the Buffalo Bills are staying in Buffalo. And, you know, I know that uh, that's a big number that the state of New York uh, is forking over to be a partner uh, in this in this uh, whole stadium um, situation. But I wanted to get your thoughts um, from Buffalo, from Bills Mafia, from the fan base there, from the city there. What's been the reaction uh, of, A, the Bills staying, the type of investment that New York um, and, and uh, the city are making toward this? And are, or is it more good feeling than, than, than not uh, in, in Buffalo? Yeah, you know, so Vinny, there's so many tentacles to this, right? Let's rewind it a little bit because really the big debate here in Buffalo was where the stadium would go. That's actually been a really big deal. As you can imagine, a lot of places, like even when they build it in Vegas, like where is it going to go and all that. And you know, this stadium has been in Orchard Park for 50 years now, and it's great. It's a great suburb. 
lots of tailgating. We're known for the tailgating here. It's kind of like Green Bay in a way, where you just go to this small town and bam, there's this NFL stadium. But, you know, if you look around the country now, these downtown stadiums are where it's at, and they're re- and it's a big part of the culture of these cities and revitalization and, you know, drawing people more to downtown. A lot of people wanted downtown. And the other part of it, a lot of people wanted a dome, right? You have Josh Allen and this great offense. Why not build a dome? It's Buffalo and all this weather. So really that's what it came down to. So they did all these studies, and really what it came back was, look, as much as downtown, like, people might want it, or put a roof on it, if we do that, it's going to be an extra close to billion dollars. And there's just no way you could do that. We're already going to be asking, you know, for a lot of public money here, and it's going to go work through parks. So that was it. And a lot of people are still mad. They're still mad. I hear from people every day say it's the biggest mistake in western New York. They're putting it back in Orchard Park. It's going across the street from the current stadium. It's going to be open air, but they're going to have a canopy, like Seattle, kind of, with the, um, it's going to be about 80 to 85% of the seats covered. Um, the uh, studies here from fans said, look, we don't mind being cold. We don't want to be wet. So that's going to help with that. Um, and it's going to be grass and open air. So it's going right across the street, and then where the old stadium is, they'll probably do parking and things like that. And then came the financing for it. And, of course, anytime you ask for public money for a stadium, you're going to have a lot of pushback. And there has been a lot of that. Benny. Of course there has been. I mean, this is like the largest public subsidy in New York State history, I believe. Percentage-wise, it's about on par with a lot of the other stadiums that have been built. Um, but yeah, and look, the New York State budget's getting uh, voted on tomorrow. It's going to get passed. It's going to go through. There was quite a bit of resistance from downstate, from what I understand tonight, talking with people. But people said, look, Buffalo people said, the Mets, the Yankees, there was public money went towards their stadiums. And, you know, don't, don't hold us. Don't, don't make an example out of us. But we want to keep the bills. And the bills are going to be kept here in Buffalo. And that's the overwhelming thing that's really great with people. Because now we don't have to worry about the threat or even the, the back talk of maybe, you know, them ever leaving. So when we talk about the public side of this, um, what uh, from from the governor and, you know, from the, from the leaders, what is their um, argument for, uh, you know, because when we it is a big number, there's no doubt about it. And I can understand where, you know, people are like, wow, we're spending that much money, um, you know, on, on a stadium. I've always contended it's a partnership and it's going it, to it typically when handled well by the leaders can benefit the area uh, that we're talking about, I've seen that time and time again with stadiums across America. I expect that to be the case in Buffalo. But from the leader's perspective, to justify the money, what's been the argument to the constituents that this is why this is a wise uh, investment? It's a great question. And let me start and say to your listeners, in case they don't know, the governor of New York, her name is Kathy Hochul, she's the one that took over for Andrew Cuomo after he was ousted because of the um, you know uh, allegations against him, she's from Buffalo, <laughs> so that doesn't help when she goes in front of all the legislators right. and they're like, "Oh, you're trying to help your city, right?" Uh, she's from right near right near the stadium, actually. She's from Hamburg, which is right next to Orchard Park, and she doesn't want to see the bills leave. But here's where it helps. She also understands, and she can stand in front of that room and say, "And here's where it comes down to, Vinny. If you take away the Buffalo Bills from Western New York, it, it is going to." completely devastate this city. We are not New York. We are not L.A. We are not Vegas. You know, Buffalo, New York is the second largest, I'm sorry, the second smallest market in the league next to Green Bay. What are we known for here in Buffalo? We're known for the Bills. I guess the Sabres are not that good right now. We're known for Niagara Falls being 20 minutes away, and we're known for chicken wings. That's what it is, other than weather, right, and snow. But, you know, you, you take away the Buffalo Bills, you are going to absolutely devastate this 
area and the, the, psych, the, the psyche of this region, the way people feel about this region, having this region on the, on the country's map and people's radar. And actually, from what I understand, like people here, the leaders here, went in front of these New York state legislatures and, and said this. This was a big argument for them. And they said, look, I mean, you can't do that to the people of Buffalo. You can't, you know, it's a depressed economy as it is. You know, we're, we're doing a lot better now, and Buffalo's on the rebound, I think, in a lot of ways. That's number one. The uh, second part of this is the Buffalo Bills are the only team that actually plays in New York State. That's <laughs> the Jets true. And the Giants play in New Jersey. So when you're talking about, you know, New York State and taxes, the Bills are actually, and I, I don't know if this is exactly true, I think it's, I believe they are the biggest, like, corporation of tax contributors, if you will, through employee tax, through, through in, in income tax, because it's all these millionaires that are playing. It's like represents the largest, you know, amount of money that comes from any one corporation for the tax base to pay into New York State. And that was a big uh, reason as well. We're talking to Sal uh, Cappuccio um, from, uh, he's a Buffalo Bills sideline reporter, uh, all things Buffalo Bills, including the stadium. And, and it's interesting to me because we just saw with the Raiders, them moving to Las Vegas because they couldn't get a stadium partnership uh, done in, in Oakland. Here in Las Vegas, uh, Sal, um, you know, the, the, the tax is being, uh, or the, the revenue for the stadium comes from a visitor's tax, obviously. Tourism is huge in Las Vegas, so it was an easy sell in that regard in terms of, hey, we'll just raise the out-of-towners, you know, a couple of cents on their hotel bills, their car rental bills, et cetera, et cetera. That's where the money's going to come from. For this this stadium, where's the tax? Is there is there anything that triggers a new tax to help raise this revenue, or are they going to go into the into the city and state coffers to pull it out? So there will not be a new tax per se, but obviously it's public money, so you know. And I always tell people this, if they don't build a stadium, your taxes aren't going down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, that's yes. not going to happen, right? Um, they're not raising a tax. They're not raising a tax in Erie County. They're not even raising a tax necessarily in New York State. And when you think about it, New York State's budget, which is getting approved tomorrow, basically, through the vote, is close to $300 billion. Right. This stadium is costing a billion. It literally is $1 billion out of $300 billion that this stadium is costing. And the public part of it is going to be $600 million. Then you spread it out maybe over the four years it's going to take to build it. I mean, Vinny, we're literally talking about, uh, what, uh, a couple hundred million a year out of a $300 billion budget that's coming this year. And I think that makes it an easier blow when you think about the money. But where it's coming from is interesting, too, because this is actually something that's been a, a bit of a, a, an issue here. They have these um, uh, Native American casinos here in Buffalo like they do in other parts of the country. And there's been some... There's been some legal wrangling between one of the casinos and paying their share of taxes in New York State. For whatever reason, I'm not sure exactly how all that went down, but they were withholding all the money. Well, they went to court recently, and basically New York State ruled, no, they told the casino, you have to pay 400-something million dollars to New York State. You've been withholding this. For whatever reason, they told them they lost their lawsuit. You have to pay it. So Hochul comes out and goes, guess what? I'm taking that $400 million dollars. And I'm putting it to the Bill Stadium towards the $600 million, so therefore it doesn't come out of the public coffers we already have to, that we're worrying about. Wow. That was like finding money under the, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> under the seat cushion right there, four hundred and some odd million dollars. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy for Buffalo. It's one of the you know Green Bay, Buffalo. There's unique. That's what I love about the NFL. There's some unique places and unique markets, and uh, I would have hated for Buffalo uh, to to lose the Bills. So so happy for you guys, and and I understand the other side of it uh, as well. But but I've always I've always believed these are these are partnerships. And investments, and hopefully over time, um, that investment will pay off uh, for for that city and that and that region without question. All right, Sal. So uh, another big uh, breaking uh, news story that that just came down uh, within the last forty eight hours or so is, and it involves a lot of money, by the way. Uh, Stefan Diggs <laughs> got a new contract, and what's interesting to me about this, uh, Sal, is he still had two years left on his uh, on his deal that he had signed with the Minnesota Vikings, carried over uh, to the Buffalo Bills. There was no. Um, the, the, the Bills were under no obligation to go ahead and tear it up and give him a new extension that kind of reflected where the wide receiver market uh, had gone to with Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. But they did. Um, so they, 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 they saw something and an opportunity to maybe nip it at the bud. It could have been an issue um, had they not, uh, but, but they took care of Stephon Diggs. Um, why did they do that? What was the, the rationale? Behind, hey, they could have gotten some bargain for him these next couple of years, but they decided to be proactive and go ahead and take care of that. Vinny, I think it's exactly the way you phrase it. They wanted to nip something in the bud before it happened. Um, so Brandon Bean, let's go back to the day they signed Von Miller. The next day, I should say that day, we have a press conference with Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager. And he's asked about, hey, you see, this is before Tyreek Hill's trade, by the way. Said, hey, did you see what Devontae Adams you got? And you know, is there any word? You know, Stephon Diggs only making fourteen million a year. You know, you know, are you guys going to have to redo that deal? And he says to us, "Oh, he's under contract for two more years. Lots of everybody wants to get paid. He wants to win." A minute, literally one minute after he said that, Stephon Diggs tweeted a thinking emoji. Oh yeah, <laughs> really I funny. saw all those tweets by Stephon. I knew something was up. <laughs> so there was some kind of you know cryptic, passive aggressive stuff over the last few weeks about it. Well, then. Tyreek Hill gets traded. Oh, yeah. He makes $30 million a year. And now it's like you saw, you know, we're all at the owners' meetings. Then we asked Brandon about it again just a week later. His tune kind of changed. He said, well, I have a good relationship with Stefan's agent. It was Tyrod Taylor's agent, Aditi Bakari. Um, you know, we have a good dialogue. And you thought right there, okay, something's going on. I think this was that. I think this was, I think that his agent, his representatives, went to the Bills and said, hey, my dude's underpaid. Look what's going on. Don't let this become a distraction because we can make it a distraction. I'm not... I don't know if they put it that way, but it felt like this is what's going on. And this offseason, Vinny, is very interesting because the Bills have done, to me, everything has been about getting rid of distractions. And I'm even talking about not just this. I think this was to make sure there's no holdout, there's no talk about it, Josh is number one receiver. Look, Cole Beasley, all the stuff last year about the vaccine. Gone. He's not on the team anymore, is he? Yep. John Feliciano, kind of the same thing. He tweeted a lot of stuff about it last year. He's not on this team anymore. Star Latulale, in and out of the lineup. Uh, um, he, he had a COVID issue. He sat out the year before. There's a big talk. They ate $7 million in dead cap space. He's not around anymore. I think the Bills have calculatedly gone about making sure every single distraction that could be placed in front of their goal to win a Super Bowl has been eliminated this offseason. Yeah, and it's why, you know, uh, if, if you bring it back to the Raiders, you got a guy in Darren Waller who's kind of in the exact same situation that Stefan was on an on a undervalued contract over the next couple of years. Meanwhile, the, even the tight end market has changed since he signed yeah. his contract. 
Do the Raiders go ahead and nip that at the button? And we're not sitting here saying these guys are going to be problem child. We're, we're just saying that, to me anyway, you have a lot of lofty goals. And what you want to do is mitigate any kind of distraction if you can. And for that reason, I think that the Raiders should do Darren Waller kind of like the Bills just did Stephon Diggs. Just get it taken care of. It's always going to cost more if you wait anyway. And it's probably the right thing to do for a lot of different reasons. And I think he's earned it as well. And I know Stephon did. uh, No question about that. So, Sal, as we're sitting here today... Uh, I know there's no game on Sunday, and there won't be for many Sundays um, you know, moving forward. However, it'll be here before we know it. What's the confidence level in Buffalo right now, um, especially after Tyreek Hill leaves the Kansas City Chiefs? Yes, the AFC West uh, has gotten um, you know, more daunting. But in the AFC East, I mean, there, there's an open door for the Buffalo Bills to really maybe solidify that number one seed, especially if the AFC West kind of knocks themselves out, which you expect to happen. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills are uh, are up there, uh, you know, in in your division. Kind of, hmm. There might be an easy path, not an easy path, but a clear path for the number one seed in Buffalo. Is there a level of confidence that that's where this thing is all headed for you guys? A hundred percent. And I want to answer that. I do want to back up one second and say something to you because I want you to monitor this. All right. So there's another there's another possible distraction coming, and that's Jordan Poyer, Bill's safety. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's kind of doing the same thing, and his wife is an Instagram model. Her name is Rachel Bush. She's super famous, and she's very outspoken on social media, and she tweets, and then she deletes stuff. <laughs> and after Stefan's deal, she literally like tweeted about how Jordan's been taking hometown discounts. This can't happen. you got to pay these guys. And he's also she's been very outspoken about the vaccine stuff. So it's kind of been percolating here in Buffalo. Let's just say that. So Jordan Poyer, her name, just kind of like to look at and kind of monitor what's going on with that situation as well. Um it is very – the confidence is high. Confidence is high, as they said back in war games, you know, DEFCON 1 and all that. Um, and I, I think it's for exactly what you said. Look, the AFC West, I think, is going to cannibalize itself in a lot of ways. The Chiefs kind of voluntarily weakened themselves. Yes. That's been the Bills' number one nemesis. They got rid of the player that's been the guy that they couldn't catch, Tyreek Hill. Yep. Um, now you have a chance. The Bills only play the Chiefs this year in the West. They do not play the Raiders. They do not play the Chargers. They do not play the Broncos. Fine. you got to play them in the playoffs. We'll deal with that when we come to it. Right. In the meantime, let's just win our games. Let them all beat up on each other. And the fact is, for 20 years, Tom Brady basically was able to play a bunch of cupcakes in the AFC East. And, yes, he's great. I'm not taking anything away. But now the Bills are kind of in that situation where they're the top dog. And there's who are they going against? Mac Jones? Tua? Zach Wilson? Like, now is the time. You ask why the Bills do this now with Stephon Diggs? One of the answers is because the Bills know for the next – Whatever years they have Josh Allen, they have a chance to win championships, and they want to make sure they keep this thing together for as long as possible. No question about it. And uh, who knows, Sal, who knows? You might even see a Raiders-Bills AFC championship game. I know there's a lot of confidence here in Las Vegas and among Raider Nation that the Raiders can stand eye-to-eye and look you know, opponents eye-to-eye right now uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, talent-wise, so I wouldn't rule that out. And that would be a great story for the old AFL historians who understand what the Bills and Raiders mean in the whole hierarchy thing of the NFL and AFL. That would be a great uh, way to uh, to cap the, uh, the the season before the Super Bowl. So we'll see about that, Sal. I'm just throwing that out there. Who knows? Maybe you'll see me in uh, in, in, in Las Vegas or vice versa in Buffalo. That's a ways well, I away. Was, I was uh, at the 51-3 to game 32 years ago. Oh. I was a senior in high school Uh-oh. sitting in the first row of the upper deck. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had in a sports game. We've never won a Super Bowl here, as you know. We've never won a Stanley Cup. 
Um, but going to that first Super Bowl and what it felt like in that stadium was amazing. And you're right, there's such a great history between the two. And Ralph Wilson literally floated money to Al Davis back in the day to keep the Raiders afloat for a little while when they uh, were in the AFL. And that would be something, and I think that would be a really great story for the league. Sal Cappuccio, I love you, man. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, he's the Buffalo Bills beat and sideline reporter, the host of the Extra Point Show from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on WGR 50, 550 uh, in Buffalo. Uh, take care, my friend. Uh, we'll talk to you down the road, and uh, be well. All right. You too. Anytime, buddy. You got it. That is Sal Cappuccio. From the Buffalo Bills, uh, sideline reporter, great guy, uh, a really good guy. And I know talking to him, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that uh, Bills fans would love a, a, a great matchup with the Raiders at some point in the playoffs because those two are stalwarts when it comes to the AFL and what they've meant to the NFL. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. X factors for the Raiders. No doubt. I mean, as Derek Carr and Devontae Adams um, and Darren Waller and Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, as they go, the Raiders are going to go. But if you're of the belief that Chances are those guys are going to have good years. Nothing, no reason to think that they won't. And if they just do what they normally do, and and I contend that Derek Carr's um, statistics are going to be better because again he's going to be surrounded by you know uh, good talent. Look, when they were fully healthy last year, Derek Carr was putting up numbers where people were saying, "Hey, if he keeps this up, it's an MVP type type season." He didn't because a lot happened along the way, and some key players uh, exited stage left, but if the Raiders can stay healthy among their star, uh, you know, face of the franchise players, they're going to be okay in that regard. It's going to be some other guys that have to contribute, that are going to have to raise their level of play. Alex Leatherwood is a guy that you can point Can Divine Diablo take a big step forward? Can Trayvon Morrig build on what he did last year? Trayvon Mullen, can he come back healthy? Rock Yassin, playing for uh, his next contract. A couple of those guys are in that position. Are they the X factors of the Raiders? We're going to continue to talk about that uh, as the days lead up to training camp and the draft and all of those good things, which are right around the corner. Uh, I want to say thanks to Sal uh, Cappuccio uh, for joining us. Uh, also, Doug Kite from Pro Football Focus, uh, two really great guests. I'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. I'm going to be over at the Treasure Island Hotel the Golden Circle Sportsbook from 4 to 6 p.m. So come join me. We'll watch some baseball and golf and whatever else. Devon Cotton, thanks for everything that you do. Always appreciate it. We'll check you guys out tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m., live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook at the Treasure Island Hotel in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila and Bajara Radio Nation Radio.